This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the WOMED. This week, we're sitting down with Dr. Pervy Parikh, an immunologist, allergy specialist, and medical correspondent for major news outlets like CNN, NBC, CBS, and yes, even Fox News. <laughs> I am so excited to hear what y'all think about this episode. We get into some fascinating research, long COVID prospects, and vaccines, obviously. So here's a thought. Instead of rating an episode this week, let's chat about what's going on in the world, D. Yeah, you know, striking down or giving women even less reproductive rights is, you know, a major well no. Nobody has the right to use your body against your will to save their life. I mean, Ugh. you can't be forced to donate blood or bone marrow or organs. You can't even be forced to donate your organs postmortem without signing over your body. Ugh, right? I mean, I never thought about it like that, actually. But I mean, a corpse should not have more rights than a living human, right? And right. Uh, this challenge to Roe v. Wade could literally open the floodgates for abortion bans across the country. So whew, I think we'll have to save that for another episode, though. What do you think? I think you're right. I think that's going to be an entire episode in itself. And it's it's a hot button topic. But it's like, eh, we just really need to have that discussion. I think that's going to be really important. Yeah. So challenging Roe v. Wade, we're going to put a whoa no to that one. Definitely. All right. This week's NDE, I almost said whoa no, but it's our NDE segment, <laughs> um, was a write-in from Kristen. She wrote in and said, hi, Danielle and Jackie. I wanted to share my nursing energy. I improved the ergonomics on my unit by lowering higher desks that we had to jump up to get on the chairs. <laughs> my gosh, I can't read today, y'all. Ergonomics is very important in healthcare and often ignored. I am joining my professional governance board at the hospital to improve these changes. I also shared a speech that I wrote recently at a staff meeting about poor patient staff ratios. I used research and rationale to get my point across and it was well received. Love your podcast. I listen to it while I exercise. I'm also a UConn alum. Go Huskies. Okay, all right. <laughs> Love it. I think it would be great to have an episode about unsafe patient ratios that are going on now. Nurse Kristen. Wow. Definitely need to have one of those episodes. Thank you so much, Kristen, for submitting that. And also, way to be already just making changes on your unit. I think that everyone needs to hear that and be reminded that, you know, if something sucks on your unit, maybe you can be the one to start to change it. That's true. And also ergonomics of working in the hospital. I think a lot of people, at least like outside listeners, wouldn't might not totally get how physically taxing working in a hospital is and moving patients, moving beds, even just sitting down to chart. Like I've got massive knots in my back just from, you know, being up in an isolate, you know, just like years of doing that oh, you know totally. so it's really important that we work safer because i mean in the long run i mean nursing isn't going anywhere we need to we need to maintain our physical health so we can still work yep take care of yourself my students always laugh at me because in the hospital i'm always sitting and i always tell them i'm like sit while you can 
it while you can. Exactly. Dr. Parikh, welcome to the WOMED. I'm so excited to have you on. I honestly, I don't know when I started following you, but I love seeing all of your little snippets pop up, like your your (laughs) news segments. And I'm like, we got to get her on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here. You guys have like quite an awesome podcast. Oh my God. Thank you. I mean, we're not like CBS or Fox or, you know, (laughs) ABC news, but you know, I think, I think we, I think we hold our own. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think actually like podcasts probably reach more people now in this day and age, you know, because I mean, who watch, who actually like sits and watches like cable TV as much anymore, you know? So I think now like the pod podcasts are the future and like social media is the future especially during this pandemic, I think more people are tuned into that, you know, than the traditional news and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that rings true completely to your work. I mean, yeah. you know, of course, as a allergist and an immunologist, but using social media as a platform to battle misinformation throughout this pandemic. I mean, this is what you've been doing for almost two years now. So I would love like yeah. to just like start there. Like how did how did you start, you know, finding your calling to start tackling misinformation? Right. I mean, believe it or not, even before the pandemic, uh, there was so much misinformation. I felt like, I mean, in healthcare in general, right? There's so much ever since I think the internet uh, was created, like misinformation has been rampant. So I feel like even before the pandemic, I was so involved in like vaccine advocacy, um, especially with like uh, Shot at Life and the UN Foundation. I even went to Zambia with them and, you know, saw a lot of their work firsthand. And I, and they're like, everyone's pro vaccine, you know, and I realized it's because they don't have access to as much uh, information, right? And, and they just have access to the facts and, and they see it with their own eyes. Like they've seen, you know, entire villages get wiped out with measles. And so to them, like, oh, something like a vaccine is a no brainer. But here, unfortunately, because we have the luxury of all of this uh, access or too much access, um, there's people giving up things that other people walk like three or four hours in 90 degree heat for, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's crazy, uh, you know, just to see that dichotomy from, you know, in a place where we have almost everything to a place that has not a lot of resources and, and, the, and the stark differences there. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I never really saw social media as that big of a tool, to be honest, until after the pandemic, because then I realized how much time everybody was spending on social media, um, partially because from the work from home culture and um, just the lockdowns, like everyone was like no longer trusting, you know, the media or the news because it was all like either you know, government run or conspiracies or what have you, mainstream media was also part of, you know, the bad guy of the institutions, right? Um, And everyone then went to Facebook uh, or Instagram or Twitter to find their information. And um, our last president also took advantage of that, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So Donald Trump really showed us how important social media is, (laughs) you know, to reach the masses. So I think that's that's how I, I got involved during the pandemic. And I met a lot of other you know, healthcare workers on Instagram, and they uh, all were spreading very good information. Um, And and they would ask me because they knew I was involved with some of the vaccine trials, like, will you come on with us? And I think that's where I really saw that power of just like an Instagram live or a YouTube video. I'm like, wow, this has the capability to reach so many people and so many different people, you know, that 
wouldn't necessarily be watching like, you know, the 5 p.m. news or what have you. When did you start being a, a medical correspondent? Yeah, that, I mean, that also kind of happened completely accidentally. <laughs> it wasn't anything <laughs> I was seek- seeking at all. Like, I I mean, I've always like liked uh, advocacy, right? So I've always, I, I almost became a lawyer. <laughs> you know, I was like on debate team in high school and college. And um, I was really into health policy. So I've even since med school, I've been doing a lot of advocacy work, but I never thought about like the media at all as a tool. And then I literally had just started practicing as an attending, uh, brand new attending. And I don't know if you remember when there were a few cases of Ebola in the US and that was like such a big deal. And everyone was like losing it over Ebola. And luckily that obviously wasn't anywhere near the scale of this pandemic. But, um, you know, they had, people were more afraid of Ebola than the flu, which was, you know, kills millions of people on a yearly basis. So, you know, uh, a media outlet had asked my partner, who's, you know, 70 plus uh, to go on and talk about why the flu shot is more important uh, than being worried about Ebola or a potential Ebola vaccine for the U.S. because we, we hardly had a handful of cases. And he was like, oh, you know, why don't you go on? You know, he's like, I've done a ton of these and you're starting out. You should get your name on. So I went on and uh, after that interview, I don't know what happened. I think I, I was just basically saying things like very common sense and matter of fact and whatnot. And it just kind of blew up. And since then, like um, NYU, uh, where I'm on faculty, they started asking me to do more media interviews and a nonprofit called the Allergy Asthma Network really liked that Ebola clip because my interviewer was kind of like hostile. And I'll, I'll share the clip with you later and you'll you'll see what I mean. But he was mm-hmm. he was trying to come at me. And I guess she just really liked how I stood my ground. And it was on Fox News. So they tried to bait me into talking like badly about Obama at the time. And I was like, listen, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm a doctor. I'm here just to talk about the flu and the flu <laughs> shot and kids that die. And so I guess I, you know, I guess that impressed her that she's like, you really stood your ground like yeah I was, I'm not here to talk politics listen I just want to talk the science you know and so that kind of just you know opened doors for more things and I think the more you do and when they find someone who can like kind of explain you know medical things or complicated things very simply then they just keep asking you and then with the pandemic it just exploded because you know of my field of immunology I I was like, oh, I love vaccines. I want to get involved in all the vaccine trials. So I think that also just kind of just, it was just like a domino effect and it kept growing. So (laughs) I was never planning to be involved in media at all or a media correspondent, but it just, it just exploded basically in the last two years. And I'm like, oh, wow. I have to say, Danielle gets, <laughs> I think Danielle gets annoyed with me sometimes because I deep dive on the guests that we have on the show. And I, like, I don't get annoyed. I love it. <laughs> I will like, basically I'm a low key stalker, but I will like look at articles and things that you've, um, other podcasts that you've been on. And earlier today, I listened to a podcast where you went toe to toe basically with someone that was anti-vax. It was oh, like a God, more yeah. recent podcast. <laughs> and in the back of my head, the whole time I'm thinking like, how does this woman do this? I would be crying. Like I was literally thinking you should have been like, I I hope you were on debate team because you just like, you keep your cool. You have the facts. You don't shy away from just laying it all out there. I just commend you so much for that because I mean, Danielle and I are kind of similar. Like I don't, I could never, like if someone came at me like that, I would literally start crying. 
it would be game over end of conversation so you're incredible and yeah I mean I I can only imagine the media I'm sure is just one piece to this picture of how your career has really uh you know blossomed or changed in the last two years that in ways that you would never imagined and you know especially with these vaccine trials and being on you know, leading vaccine trials for for a pandemic that you didn't know it was going to happen when you were in med school. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been crazy, but it's it's also been like really rewarding. So with all all the frustrating things and negative things that have come out of the pandemic, I've I've also actually gotten to to meet a lot of really incredible people, both of you included. But you know, I think through social media, people always say the negative sides of it, but there's so many positives too. And I'm sure like, I know you guys also probably know Dr. Uh, Jamie Rutland and Alok Patel. And a lot of people I've met online, I've actually become like real life friends with too. So it's it's kind of nice. So yeah, you never know where things take you. (laughs) That's true. Jackie and I met on social media. We met in person the day before (laughs) we uh, recorded our first episode. Yeah. Yes, the pandemic has changed, has changed the way that we have relationships and the way that we, you know, meet people now. And that's so cool. Like you, you have this like whole like vaccine team, I feel like in your corner, just just like battling misinformation together. Take the whole team or like a whole village, I would say, because like you said, it's easy to get burned out just from because I mean, all of us have day jobs, right? If we take care of patients all day long, and then it's just exhausting, especially when you're talking to people who just won't see see it for what it is so something you need a a village (laughs) you mentioned in that podcast that like really stood out to me was um you kept on saying to this anti-vax person (laughs) I don't want to like label him as anti-vax whatever he's anti-covid vax but you kept saying just just come to the ICU with me for one hour just come yes for one hour and see what it's like and then we can talk I love that I've said that to every anti-vaxxer and nobody has taken me up on it. Like all, all everything that they say, I was like, I bet you if they just walk through it for like 10 minutes, it would change their mind, you know, like. And I think I've, so I've, many healthcare workers can relate to that. I've been working in community health, uh, vaccinating people like day to day and just kind of like being on the other side of it. But I, I know so many of our listeners and so many people that we talk to struggle with this and struggle with having these conversations with friends or family members about vaccines and it can be really upsetting you know it i think at some points can even like ruin relationships has that like right. ha- has that i'm curious if that's happened at all in your personal life or you know just in general how you know some tips on how to navigate those conversations no it's it's really hard i mean overall i i think i've been lucky cuz the majority of people actually have seen eye to eye with me or if they didn't initially like at least then they uh they eventually changed their minds or they were like open-minded enough to have a conversation with me and then they they realize most people i've noticed aren't really anti-vax they're just scared right and and all it takes is a one-on-one conversation to hear what their concerns are and what their fears are uh, and then just give them the facts and and they want to hear it from someone they know and trust so even like friends and family of mine who are on the fence, like all it really took was a conversation one-on-one. And, and luckily they, they trust me enough to know that, you know, I, I wouldn't mislead them. Right. And um, I, I put my own parents like in the, well, one of the Moderna trials early on. I'm like, why would I put my own parents in harm's way? You know, like I I've taken like the vaccine and the booster or what have you. So I think, I think that really helps, but there are some people who are like, just, 
I, you can tell pretty quickly like who you can convince and who you can't. And and it's not that I've it's ruined any relationships. I just I just can't engage with them in the same way that I used to. And then that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you can only go you go so far. Like people have to kind of meet you in the middle. But luckily the majority of people have been like very open minded. Or let's say if they still disagree in the end, they're still very respectful, you know. So I, so luckily I, I haven't had that happen, but I've heard a lot of stories and, um, you know, even within like immediate families um, or within couples. So that must be really hard. I don't know what I would do in that situation, but a little bit. And if it, it happens, then I'm just going to send them to you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> what? What has that been like for you? I mean, I know as someone with large platform, anytime that I post something related to getting vaccinated or that I got vaccinated or I got my booster or telling people to wear masks and stuff, the the barrage of <laughs> of right. like hatred coming yes. at me is a lot to deal with. It's and and everyone spouting off their their mistrust of healthcare providers, um, their own facts that they have found on Facebook. I know for me personally, it's taken a really big toll because this is what we, what we go to school for. This is what we have been called to do is to Mm -hmm. care for, to help, to educate people and having all of that thrown back in your face. Like, no, I don't, I don't trust you. I don't, I don't value your degree. Have you experienced much of that? Like, how do you, how do you combat that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and it is kind of disheartening, right? At first, because like, I think people forget, especially when they're online, they forget that there's like another human being on the other side of that. So some stuff people say is just like downright, you know, like hateful or nasty or what have you, you know? So of course it's like, it's it's disheartening. Some of it can be hurtful, but but I think this is part of what contributes to burnout amongst healthcare professionals, right? Because so many people I know, and, and you know, I'm sure colleagues, like we, this isn't just like a job for us, right? It's like a calling, like majority of our days, weeks, we're taking care of people, which is already draining, right? But it's fine, like we signed up for it. So I'm not complaining about that. But then to then have um, people say things like that, or just like throw things back in your face or be disrespectful, I think unfortunately that can contribute to burnout and and that has among so many physicians especially those that work you know in the ICUs in the hospitals constantly taking care of patients i mean at least now we have a vaccine but early on in the pandemic it was like frightening because you know this is the first time that we're just as stressed out about our patients as we are about ourselves right or about uh, bringing something home to family members. Like I knew so many healthcare workers that were like isolating themselves from their own families, like during one of the like most probably stressful or scariest times of their career. So all that takes a toll. And then to, to then see people be so hateful, you know, or say that, oh, we're like all paid off by pharma or mm-hmm. the government or whoever, <laughs> like, you know, which like, we're not. Newsflash, but, you know. We're not getting paid. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, like, where's that these- paycheck? checks <laughs> I know like they they claim we're getting all these checks and I'm like I have yet to get one <laughs> like where's my check but but yeah so it, it is it, it can take a toll on you but then and then you have to kind of like create your own uh, boundaries you know so and and I think part of the boundaries is, for me at least is like distancing myself 
one good piece of advice that I got is like never read the comments. <laughs> and that's been the best advice I've ever gotten for like uh, any media thing I do or any social mm-hmm. media thing. Because once you start reading the comments, it really, you no matter how it. confident, yeah, or how confident or how much like, you know, um, how good you feel about yourself or self-esteem you have, it starts to like wear down on you. So I, I, the few times I have read it, yeah, I've either gotten baited into those like ridiculous arguments or like it's made me feel bad about myself. And I'm like, I don't even know these people. Like, why do I feel bad about myself? So I think that's the best thing, best way I distance myself. And then I've also like limited um, social media time or engagement, you know, so I just like basically just put my phone away because, you know, you, you have to create your own space. And I think mm-hmm. giving people access to you 24 seven is just not never a good, a good thing, especially when they're so hateful. So yeah, that's, that's a few things I've learned, but yeah, it is, it is disheartening. And I think it's unfortunate because I, I see people who are literally risking their lives on a daily basis. And then to see comments like that, it really upsets me. Mm-hmm. Right. And that advocacy, you know, at least for, I can't imagine it's not going to end anytime soon. I mean, it's like every few weeks, there's a different update, you know, the recommendations in pregnancy and the recommendations with kids and the recommendations with mm-hmm. kids matching vaccines. So yeah, that's a really good point to just kind of, you know, nip it in the bud. I'm not even going to waste my time with that. And it's funny because, you know, you, <laughs> it's funny because you are literally an expert. It's like, you went to medical school, you specialize in immunology, you're on the vaccine trials. And you've got these, you know, random people acting like they also went to medical school and did all <laughs> studying right. these things for a million years. You're like, uh, take a look at my bank account and my student loans and uh, <laughs> then come talk to me about uh, your expertise in immunology, which, you know, kind of leads me to my next question about being involved in these vaccine trials. That is so incredible. And I'm just, I'm like dying to know what were some of those early conversations like? Like, were you just sitting around one day and you got an email or you got a call in the early stages of the pandemic being like, all right, it's time that we need to start looking at a vaccine? Yeah, I mean, so I I wanted to get involved because similar to many people, I was just, I felt helpless. I was in New York City the first three months of the pandemic and it was like really scary. It was a complete war zone. There were sirens 24 seven. You know, we were, there was like ice trucks outside of every hospital because there wasn't enough room for all the bodies. And like, I actually, I got married six months before the pandemic hit and like seven people from my own wedding uh, passed away within the first six weeks. Like some were healthcare workers, some were not. And and I don't know, I think that, that time frame just traumatized me. And in the first three months, I wasn't working inpatient, I was, but we were still seeing patients in our office on a daily basis. And like, nobody knew what was going on. It was so scary, you know, but we wanted to still be there for our asthmatics. I treat people with immune deficiencies, so non-functioning immune system. So we couldn't send those people to the hospitals that were already getting crushed and overwhelmed. But I still felt so helpless. So I was like, how can I help? And then I had um, worked on the H1N1 vaccine trials when I was a resident, an internal medicine resident um, in Cleveland, Ohio, at the Cleveland Clinic. And I remembered, I was like, oh, like that pandemic was nowhere near this scale. But it was it was very rewarding. Part of those vaccine trials. And believe it or not, Dr. Fauci was like leading the score on that. too. Like he's just been the forefront of every pandemic, I think, for like seven decades. But so I was like, oh, this this is a way I can help. Like, you know, I'm this is how I can help my ER 
and ICU colleagues who are literally like putting their lives on the line every day. So I actually reached out to, because we have a vaccine research center. So I reached out to our chief of ID and immunology and I was like, are we doing any of the trials here? Because I'm like, I want to help. And he's like, actually we are. And that's, and that's how, that's literally how it happened. It was just an email of me being like, you know, I want to do something. Like, I feel so helpless and like depressed, you know, just seeing all of this like badness happening around me. Um, and that's how it happened. And that's how it started. So we had like the first, you know, phase one Pfizer trial, like from the very first patient who was like injected, like it was like May of 2012. I remember that day just because it was like, such a big day. Um, but, you know, I think in New York, it's like very different. Like people were very excited to participate in the trials because they saw all of that death and destruction for so long. So we had no problem, like trouble recruiting people for even now. We're still, they're just a lot of the studies are still going on. What do you think Florida's problem is then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all political. And I think it's unfortunately their, their local politicians and the government and that I think what was so sad about this whole pandemic, like it didn't have to be a political issue. Like it, it's no, you know, like, like health, uh, it doesn't oh make any sense. No, like you can still be Republican and believe all the Republican things, and a Democrat and believe all the Democrat things, and still be on the same page on this. I, I just don't of, understand where that happened. <laughs> of wanting but people to no survive a, a deadly virus, right? It, like a real life deadly virus and that's yeah like yeah. God, it's so funny. well i'm not gonna name like this- names but i think we we all know <laughs> why this got politicized yeah <laughs> this could have this could have united the country right yes. it was the one thing literally everyone had in common on this whole planet yes. and i don't know yeah <laughs> this didn't make sense but How has your experience been with Fox News? Yeah. Talking about the vaccines, talking about the right. um, the disease process. Yeah. So interestingly enough, it's actually been very positive. So I don't understand. It's just, So it's very confusing for me because when I'm interviewed by them outside of that very first interview that started the whole my whole media journey, um, they haven't been hostile at all, actually. They've actually been very uh, fact-based, very respectful, and uh, 90% of Fox News is fully vaccinated, uh, as is every well, yeah, like uh, you, ma- you major ha- media outlet. Like you have so, to be to, to work for them. <laughs> right, right. So so it's, it's interesting that, like, on the one hand, you know, um, people say that it, it drives a lot of misinformation. And, and I'll be honest, like, I don't sit around watching all of the other shows on Fox News, so maybe they do. I, I just don't know. I haven't seen them. But from a medical standpoint, they've actually really stuck to the facts and they don't ever distort anything that I've said. So it's really interesting. Um, and, and then I do a lot with like the local Fox in New York, Fox of New York. So of course that is like, has more of a liberal slant to it anyway. But, but even when I've done stuff nationally, I, it's been a pleasant surprise. Like it's uh, very congenial, they're respectful, everything. So that's why it just blows my mind that on one hand, you know, there's this side of it too. So, well, I, and I, I actually, I blame also like all of the people in power too, like Mm -hmm. the politicians that aren't Mm -hmm. are purposely 
misleading people, right? They, yeah. they, I mean, they know what's right. I mean, they're all vaccinated too, which is blows my yeah. mind. <laughs> like, yeah. Right? So, well, it's, it's really crazy. powerful that you can use your education and expertise to be that non-biased voice in, you know, no matter what political affiliation different news outlets have. And I think, you know, I I would love for you to kind of like elaborate on that because I know you have not been shy to call out the CDC and call out other bodies. um, You know, and I think that that honestly has probably really helped gain your followers and people that are, you know, again, like when we're going through this pandemic, it's hard to trust any news source. It's hard to trust the government. We don't know. People don't didn't know who to trust. And that is when people turned to social media and found doctors and expertise uh, on social media because they didn't know where else to go. And I think that that was a huge factor on why people can trust you on when they see you on the news or see you on social media, because you have remained so non-biased in, you know, politically and even with the government and different bodies. So how's that experience been for you? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's really important to just like be honest with people and transparent. And so like, I have no problem saying if I don't know something, right? I'm like, honestly, I, don't, I have no idea because like, I think when you start, uh, th- that's when people start losing trust, right? Like if, if you're not being uh, straightforward, if you're not being transparent, that's what like erodes trust in my opinion. So I think also, it, also people relate more if if you're like kind of more, open and honest like if, if you're only just blindly supporting um you know certain government institutions or you're only just blindly supporting the media or what have you um you know it just comes off as disingenuous i think you know and and like i told you i was never um i never got into it to like be famous or be on tv or any of it so for me i'm like i don't care who i offend because <laughs> if they don't invite me back whatever at least i said my piece you know so yeah, I don't know. I, I just, for me, I think I'm, I'm just not good at being fake. And sometimes it gets me into trouble. <laughs> like, especially like sometimes my, my husband's like, you're too honest. Like, why did you have to say that? I'm like, but I don't know. It just, so I'm like that in all walks of life. And I feel like for something this important, you, you have to be like very honest, very transparent. And I think it's okay to disagree, even with institutions that you respect. Like, I respect the CDC, but um, did I think they mishandle some parts of this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm allowed to have that opinion as well, you know? So I don't know, hopefully that instills trust in people that, okay, I'm still following guidelines of an institution that yes, I, I disagree with some of their actions or the WHO or what have you. But, um, I think that's the other part of cancel culture. Like everything doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? Like, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, like no one's just so one-sided like everyone kind of gets grouped on on each side when the reality is everyone tends to fall more in the middle in the middle right of us are definitely more in the middle than i think right we'll let on oh absolutely (laughs) so no one all agrees one side versus the other it's good to keep that in mind too when you're thinking about conversations around the vaccine and people that do not want to get the covid vaccine it's like at the end of the day the reason they don't want to get the covid vaccine is because they're worried about the same things that we're worried about they are worried about their Mm -hmm. health they are worried about their safety they're worried about the health and safety of their family members of their children of you know in pregnancy of their future child it's like, you know, that those are the reasons they're not doing it to be, <laughs> I mean, maybe right. not all of them. Maybe I think yeah. that there's definitely that 1% of just, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. being a contrarian just to whatever. But 
you know, I think that's important to keep in mind because I think at the end of the day, we all, we're all built the same. We all want the same things, the health and safety of our loved ones. And it's just important to keep that in mind. Sometimes it's hard. It's really hard. Sometimes I cannot do that, but (laughs) it is hard. It is hard. But yeah, you have to keep reminding yourself of that too. You know, it's like, okay, this person is genuinely afraid, you know, even if what's scaring them is, even if it seems ridiculous, right, to you or I, like they genuinely have concerns. Right. Mm -hmm. And so your practice, you know, has changed obviously a lot. And I kind of want to pivot a little bit into your more recent work with long haulers and long haul COVID. So I think Mm -hmm. that this is still a term that a lot of people are a little unfamiliar with. So can you elaborate a little bit more on long haul? I mean, I'm a little familiar, but I, I, you know, I think it's something that isn't really talked about right now. It's like people either get COVID or they don't. What are the numbers? What are the deaths? What are the hospitalizations? No one's really talking about the people that have had COVID. And their long-term effects from it. Yeah. And and this is very important, I think, because this is going to be like, I think like a, even a bigger public health issue, if you can even fathom it than even actual COVID, acute COVID, because, um, all of the people who survived COVID-19 are now going to be dealing with these consequences for years to come, you know? So, so what, what, so long haul COVID isn't even like the accurate name. Um, The official diagnosis is like post-acute sequelae of COVID-19, but um, long haul is just a lot easier to say, and that's kind of the lay term. But basically, it's after you're at least four weeks post uh, your actual infection or more, um, and you've recovered from the infection, but you still have um, some like symptom, you know, and, and these can be quite debilitating. So extreme fatigue, brain fog, like memory or cognition issues to the point where like, people tell me that they can't even uh, focus on a TV show, like something that's very uh, mindless, that doesn't require high level functioning. Um, And um, people get shortness of breath, heart palpitations, like abdominal issues, weakness. And and some of these people are are still suffering from it, like 17, 18, 19 months later. And and it's completely like um, destroyed their lives. They're not going to work. They're not going to school. We're starting to see more cases in children. Um, And nobody really knows, you know, what, why this is happening or the best way to treat it. But the common consensus seems to be is that there is like uh, persistent inflammation or hyperinflammation after the virus has gone, you know? So some think it might be like an autoimmune type disease that persists afterwards. Um, Some like centers might think that there might be like some protein left over from the virus and that's why your immune system keeps reacting to it and you have all these symptoms. But either way, it's really uh, affecting a lot of people and a lot of people are suffering. So myself and a virologist from Stanford, Dr. Bruce Patterson, and another doctor, um, Dr. Ram Yogendra, who is actually one of my uh, friends from medical school, we actually started looking into it. And it's mostly Dr. Patterson's work because he was actually key during the um, HIV uh, pandemic. And he did a lot of work with like um, HIV receptors and antivirals and things. So he, he found some interesting clues that some of the inflammation might be similar to, you know, HIV. So could we maybe use some of those drugs in long COVID? We don't know. We're, we're actually in the process of designing a clinical trial. Um, and then other thoughts are other anti-inflammatories that we always use, you know, like steroids and other medicines. But it's fascinating. And like almost every major center in the U.S. is now studying it because it's going to be have a big em- impact on our healthcare system, I think, uh, for years to come. 
and, and it's just such a puzzle. And and it's crazy. Like that alone would make me want to get the vaccine because these people were like highly functioning individuals, like a Navy SEAL. I saw mm-hmm. or a psychiatrist or all these people. And they're like they're now having trouble just even like forming sentences or concentrating. And um, so it's, it's 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 crazy. And it's another mystery of COVID-19 that it's still we're learning about, you know, we're uh, building the plane as we're flying. So it'll be interesting, but hopefully we'll have an answer for some of these individuals uh, soon. So I'm, I'm curious just because I don't, I don't know as much of the research on that and maybe you can't speak into it, but it, are you seeing as many, as many cases of the long haul COVID in people who have gotten the vaccine? Is that's a great question. Yeah. So there's actually less I think, Mm -hmm. those who've been vaccinated, which is great news. And there's even some data that shows that it's less. Uh, if you've been vaccinated. And some people, interestingly enough, who had long COVID and then got the vaccine, the vaccine actually helped them. Not everyone. I mean, some, unfortunately, they felt like worse, you know, but some actually felt better. And one thought was because maybe that vaccine helps clear some of that residual like viral protein or inflammation. But yes, that's the good news that there is less long COVID in people who are fully vaccinated because it makes sense because you're less likely one to get COVID in the first place. And if you do, it's a much milder form. But that being said, even uh, some individuals who had milder cases of COVID-19, even before the vaccine, they're suffering with bad uh, long COVID symptoms. And then they're like, you know, my actual COVID infection wasn't that bad, but this after effect is is awful, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like more attention should be placed on this, uh, as well as all of the post-COVID complications, because a lot of the naysayers are so fixated on the death rate being so low or whatever, however they say it. But I'm like, but if you survive, you're not back to normal. Like I, I spoke to a varsity athlete that was like, could, can barely walk now, you know, and this, this poor kid was like, you know, top optimal shape. Like I can't think of anyone healthier, right. Than that. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. That's why I, all the anti-vaxxers, I tell them, I'm like, please just like, can I just show you a half an hour of like, what everyone else deals with. And then I could convince you, but no one takes me up on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm also curious, like I've uh, a lot of friends got pregnant this year or on like their second babies, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're, they're fully vaccinated. But now with the booster recommendation coming out, I'm wondering if you can speak into that at all for fully vaccinated moms but now they're pregnant and should they Mm -hmm. get the get a booster yeah no that's a great question so i'm actually yeah i'm telling everyone one if you're not vaccinated and you're pregnant absolutely get vaccinated because um pregnancy is high risk uh and it's very high risk you're 70 percent more likely to die if you get covid and you're pregnant unvaccinated so i'm telling them to do that and if you're due for your booster um, you should get it. Um, and many of the like major um, obstetric and gynecologic societies are also recommending it for pregnant women, especially if you're six to eight months out from your second dose or from whatever you were fully vaccinated for that reason, because pregnancy is high risk. Um, then there's also the higher risk of it passing on um, to the baby as well. So we've even seen neonates uh, sadly born, you know, with COVID and the NICU and things like that. So 
you're actually protecting two lives instead of one. Um, then there's so many benefits even afterwards, like through breast milk. If you decide to breastfeed, you're you're mm-hmm. passing on immunity too to your baby. And interestingly enough, one of one of the other studies that um, we just recently got involved with is called MommyVax, the MommyVax trial, and that's not sponsored by ph- the pharma at all. It's, it's through the NIH. Um, it's multiple centers throughout the uh, country, and we're looking at uh, pregnant. We're following pregnant moms who are fully vaccinated and their uh, babies too. Because everyone keeps saying, like, we don't, we don't have data, we don't have data. So we want to have that data and say, look, it, mm-hmm. it is safe and it's protective and, and everything. So I would definitely recommend the booster if you're pregnant and do for one. Yeah. 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 The recommendations sure. are just going to keep coming out and keep changing and evolving mm-hmm. as this pandemic has evolved, you know, in almost two years now. And you know, this may be a selfish question on my end and one that is probably very annoying for you. But what is what like, where do you see this pandemic going? And I feel like I actually haven't asked that question in so long because it's been so disappointing. But the numbers obviously, you know, are getting better. They've gotten a lot better where I am and in Chicago. But, you know, is that a question that you can even ask yourself? Right. So, I mean, a lot of this, right, we're all learning. Uh, it's funny, like, when you're, you're saying experts, right? But even like, the experts aren't really experts in this, because we're all learning as we're going, you know, so, so yeah, we have a lot more to work with now. But um, the, the way I look at it is that I think this virus is here to stay. But the good news is that now we have so many more tools to fight it. So, um, you know, Merck has a new pill, you know, that you could take very early on into the illness and Pfizer now does. And now AstraZeneca has something similar that, you know, an antibody you can take immediately or before. So I think uh, one, it's here to stay, but now we don't have to really suffer as much as we did earlier on, because one, we have a very good way to prevent it. Uh, We just have to get people to take it, which is the vaccine. But even if you do get sick, if you're one of the breakthrough cases or you're someone high risk, now there's so many options, like options or soon will be outside of just like monoclonal antibodies that can actually reduce your chances of death and hospitalizations quite significantly. And it's kind of amazing if you think about how much science has achieved in less than two years. That Pfizer pill, apparently, if you take it in the first three days, it reduces your chance of death and hospitalization by close to 90%. Same with the Merck one, the AstraZeneca. Um, There's a shot, it's not a pill, but still, like, that's those are great odds, you know? And especially if you've already been vaccinated, your odds are even better should you, you know, get sick. So I think I'm optimistic. Like, unfortunately, I think we're stuck with the virus, but I think we'll be in much better shape as long as people you know, follow common sense and guidelines. So I'm glad you brought up the pills um, that Merck and AstraZeneca and um, everyone's <laughs> come up with now. I'm s- so curious how that's going to fit in to treatment plans. Like, obviously, they're going to have a better outcome if they're already vaccinated. If they get right. it, then they can take the pill to help fight. But I feel like a lot of people are like, well, now there's a pill. Now I don't have to stick this right. drug in my body that I don't know what those chemicals are. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Even though pills are also a drug, but made by right, the same plenty of chemicals in those. <laughs> Hilarious. Just the irony. I, like, yeah. Everyone's I, like, I'm anti-pharma. And I'm can't. like, pharma's making this too. <laughs> like, well, I'm know. sorry. Your tea tree oil isn't going to fix this, my dear. Right. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, that's a challenge. I mean, I hope these new therapeutics don't discourage people from getting the vaccine because mm -hmm. um, I, you're, I mean, you're only uh, hurting yourself, right? Because your illness is going to be far worse that, uh, with your unvaccinated and get sick rather than vaccinated and get sick. But I think it's great because now we do have that in, in our armamentarium. So people who are high risk, you know, that who we worry about, even though they've been vaccinated, like, uh, you know, people's parents or grandparents or what have you, or, you know, a young child who has cancer, right, who can't respond to the vaccine, at least now there's like something else for them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that that actually makes me hopeful. And then certain parts of the world that haven't even had access to their first dose um, because of access issues and they don't just don't have like the cold chain issues to sh uh, store vaccines. So stuff like this is huge for those areas of the world, right? If you can just give people a pill and um, improve their chances just because they haven't had a chance to get vaccinated. So I hope it's not abused. I hope it's like used in the right way, but I think it's, it's good news all around. Well, you know, you've been a doctor in New York in the beginning. You work in healthcare every single day. And then in your spare time, you're having conversations like this, you're going on social media, advocating. I kind of want to end on a more lighter note. And I'm just, I would love <laughs> to know what you do for yourself. How do you take care of yourself when you are just bombarded with all of this information and you feel such a sense of responsibility? You know, how do you, how do you take, how have you been taking care of yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think I did a really bad job of taking care of myself the first year of the pandemic. Same. And and <laughs> I could, and I could, <laughs> and, and and then it showed because I was like, oh no, I'm like this isn't me. Like I felt unhealthy. You know, I, I gained weight. I stopped doing like the good healthy things, like exercising regularly, all of that. Um, but now I, I've learned how to kind of make time for myself. So. So things like exercising, working out, you know, re uh, releases endorphins. So you feel significantly better just from that alone. But for me, um, a lot of my relaxation comes from spending time with like people I care about. So now I'll like put my phone away and, you know, spend time with my husband, you know, we'll watch shows, watch, you know, watch TV together. And then, you know, I'll, now that it is safer to interact and, you know, meet people, I've been able to engage a lot more with friends that I hadn't seen in like months or now even years. So all of that, I think, helps a lot. I think it's just making sure you make time for that. And like I mentioned before, that whole disconnecting from devices is huge. I think that really uh, significantly improved my mental health um, a lot once I started doing that. Because so I was like, you know, I don't have to answer every single text or message right away, even if it's COVID related, because, you know, I mean, almost anyone who I had ever met since kindergarten, like had contacted me for like advice. And I would always feel bad not responding because I was like, well, this is like not something frivolous, but, but you forget that like for each response you give, that's something you're like, that's time you're taking away from yourself. And I didn't realize that until recently. So I was like, okay. I can, I can respond tomorrow. It's okay. They'll understand, you know? Well, I'm so grateful that you took this time tonight to speak on the WOMED with Jackie and I. Honestly, I feel like I have like a bazillion more questions, but we should. <laughs> Boundaries, Danielle. Boundaries. Boundaries. We can, we can Boundaries. do a part two. How about that? There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, we'll have you back on. Yes, when, sure. uh, when more medications come out or there's more questions that we have around 
God knows what's going to happen with this pandemic. So <laughs> we have your number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anytime, anytime. <laughs> I love getting to have these conversations with such strong and remarkable women. Wow. Same. I really love this team. And just to note, our little giveaway is still going strong. The person who leaves the 1,000th, oh my goodness, 1,000th, there we go, so hard review. It, it's okay. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. Review on Apple Podcasts. We'll get an uber awesome WOMED bag of goodies. Yes. We love reading your reviews. Make sure to like, listen, and follow along on whatever platform you listen to the WOMED. And don't forget to follow along with Dr. Parikh on Instagram too, at Panny Pervy NYC. That's P-A-N-I-P-U-R-V-I-N-Y-C. And we've got a super special episode coming to you guys next week. No spoilers. WOMED out.